0: I'm Ambreen Khan, and you're listening to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. Each week, we explore the beliefs shaping our world, our culture, our politics, and the events and ideas unfolding around us. We now turn to another entry from producer Kimberly Winston, who shares what drew her to a book that covers a topic she's been thinking about for a long time.
1: When I was a kid, I thought of heaven as a place where an old man with a white beard sat on a puffy cloud and looked over all my loved ones who had died. Then I grew up, and my relationship to religion and ideas about heaven did too. Today, my heaven is a place that includes all my dogs, Taffy, Bella, Shadow, and Roxy. Gone are my images of clouds and choirs, and in their place are visions of a blissful nothingness and the sounds of falling water and maybe some birdsong. My guest, Katherine Wolf, also changed her ideas of heaven. Wolf grew up Catholic in San Francisco and went on to become an educator, a university chaplain, and now a writer. Here she is on her first ideas of what heaven is like.
2: When I started imagining life beyond, I called it heaven. Most of the people I knew growing up did. My earliest visions were those of a little kid, and during frigid San Francisco summers, heaven would be a bright, sunshiny, blue sky place where each person had her own cloud with a swimming pool in it. God did not figure much, nor did my noisy family. I would be alone in the sunshine and the pool forever. In the ensuing years, I came to see heaven as a state of bliss in union with God and the blessed departed a state I would earn through a life lived by the conventional moral code. I figured that was as far as one might legitimately speculate. I had no idea the extent to which my ideas of heaven were a product of my time. Heaven turned out only one of the many ways we humans have envisioned life beyond. That's an excerpt from Wolf's new book,
1: Beyond, How Humankind Thinks About Heaven. It's a sort of history of ideas about the afterlife, touching all the major world religions as well as some of their smaller offshoots. The speculations about what lies beyond this life are breathtakingly broad, from a sort of pleasant void to verdant gardens full of good things to eat and to astral planes of space-time travel. In some heavens, we exist in a frozen state of our best selves. In others, we continue to evolve in spirit, in some, there is equality and justice. In others, not so much. I talked to Wolf at her home near Stanford University, where she lives with her husband, the writer Tobias Wolfe. Catherine Wolf, welcome to Inspired. Where did the idea for
2: this book come from? Well, you know, you probably want a deep sort of the heartfelt mystical answer. <laughs> but actually, there was an <laughs> editor named Jake Morrissey at Riverhead who really liked the introduction I had to these essays having to do with people in my church, the Catholic Church, who had um, fought against the authorities in some way, but kept the faith. And he liked the introduction I did. And uh, he said, he wrote, I've always wanted to publish a book about heaven. Would you be interested in in writing it? I just was flabbergasted. And I I told my husband. He said, "Well, if you don't do it, I will." He's a writer, so I had to do it, of course. And what was it about the idea that appealed to you? You know, a couple of days of sort of nosing around in, uh, you know, the Norton Anthology of Religion and Houston Smith's book on on world religions just captivated me, absolutely captivated me. The one thing that I had to tell him, though, after only about a month of research, I said, "No, Jake, this idea of heaven." Um, is actually only one slice of just this enormous spectrum of of ideas uh, that humans have had about heaven. He said, go for it.
1: I really enjoyed the book. I had no idea that there were so many different versions of heaven. Neither did I. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, again, it is something that you just don't think about, or at least I'm like you. I don't think about it. I think we as human beings start thinking about it a little more as we get older or more infirm
2: or, you know, whatever. A friend of mine who's a chaplain here, I just have to say this, she said she didn't like thinking about heaven because to get there, you had to be dead. Yeah. <laughs> There's no human truth there. Oh, my
1: gosh. <laughs> well, after you explored all these different ideas of the afterlife, mm-hmm. do you think that we as human beings are wired? for creating and believing in an afterlife.
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think St. Augustine uh, said it best. He said, you have made us for you, Lord, and our hearts are restless until we rest in you. And I think that our yearning for life beyond, I really think there's a reality there that actually sort of calls to us. Do we spend too much
1: time focusing on the afterlife and not on the problems and concerns and the things that we can fix in this world now, what do you think of that
2: criticism? Well, I'm not sure that many people focus on the afterlife right now. A balanced sort of approach to me would be keeping that fuller life that possibly started before this life and I do believe goes on after life, but keeping this that in mind while we do justice, kindness, and walk humbly with God, Uh, to quote Micah, an Old Testament prophet, that we are really charged, I believe, not to exploit the earth, but to bring our sense of a fuller and more benign kind of life to bear on our lives now. And that, you know, that is the basis for all, uh, you know, the sort of social teaching of the Catholic Church, and the basis for so many uh, social movements, um, for instance, abolition of of slavery. And so I think, uh, because I am a believer, I think that it's important to be attuned to where we are, to where we are already, but also to where we are not yet. Um, And the bridge between those two, um, to me, were the mystics that I met in every tradition.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I was so fascinated by how they weren't waiting. They weren't mm-hmm. waiting. They went there now, you know, whether it was in a trance, um, in prayer, uh, through the use of, of psychedelics. I'm reading this book through a
1: woman's eyes, a woman's um, set of expectations. And what really got me was that in almost every version of heaven in this book, women are relegated to less than second-class status.
2: Yeah. You have to remember that all of these visions, all of these uh, projections, all of these forecasts about uh, a good place beyond were, by and large, written by men um, in a very patriarchal setting. So we get very few people, with the exception, as you say, of somebody like Julian of Norwich, uh, or who have any sort of credibility in terms of their visions. Um, I'd like to think that that will change. Um, I, I'm, I'm thinking of Mary Magdalene, who in an oddly parallel way, she started out in the Gospels as being uh, the supporter, financially and otherwise, of Jesus. Um, always there, steadfast, one of his primary disciples, um, the person to whom Jesus appeared first and who told her to tell everybody that he had risen from the dead. She is, for that reason, called the apostle to the apostles. Um, But for, oh, 1,900 years, 2,000 years, Mary Magdalene has been viewed as a prostitute. And her reputation, which is totally not based in the New Testament, had everything to do with the view of her that the male hierarchs um, and philosophers and theologians in the Catholic religion uh, had of her. And it seems to me that Mary Magdalene um, is a projection of all the sort of thwarted sexual desire um, of people who are celibate who or who are troubled in, in in that way that they have to have somebody to relate to who still is looked at as somebody who in the end was good. Um, And I think also she served the purpose of being the sort of antithesis to Mary, who is, as you say, so uh, perfect. And I fear that for very long, Mary Magdalene was a vessel of imperfection. There's a whole rehabilitation, not surprisingly by uh, feminist theologians, of Mary Magdalene to, to bring out who she really was and to lift her up. Um, as a model for women today, who is collegial with men, who speaks her mind, who keeps the faith, who is recognized actually above the apostles by Jesus in terms of spreading the news of of, of his resurrection. So uh, if there is change on the Mary Magdalene front, I'm hoping that that will um, give people the sort of uh, license, the freedom, um, to think more about a heaven where women are not seen simply in their role as sexual partners which or mothers, mm-hmm. which seems to be the sort of dominant roles
1: has your own idea of heaven changed since you started working on this book? oh well it
2: it should have right <laughs> It wasn't very well defined before that's for sure. <laughs> It's funny, I I had a brother I was very close to who died many years ago, um, but when we were very young, he and I made a pact that whoever died first would come back and tell the other one what it was like. Oh, how funny. (laughs) So that was my expectation, right? And I have to say that in the writing of this book, I felt his touch many times, many times. And it was something I felt uh, very deeply when I was doing all these interviews of people telling me about things I'd never heard about and concepts that they were explaining to me that I was struggling to grasp. I have to tell you that those conversations between me and, you know, a woman who's a devotee of Krishna or me and and a a Muslim woman who runs a, a food pantry, they went so deep, so fast. And it felt as though our differences melted away. I mean, I never got through an interview feeling that I was talking to somebody whose ideas and hopes and feelings were fundamentally different from mine. So my ideas of heaven, I realized very quickly that I had to really respect those from different points of view and different religions and learn from them. And that I had to open my mind to so many different ways of conceiving uh, life beyond, that I've just come to um, a place where I'm just, uh, it's like I've got both both palms out and up, just saying, you know, what will be, will be. As we have
1: said, you are a Catholic, and in the book you write very movingly about um, the Christian notion of the communion of saints in heaven that are looking over us and how that's very comforting for you. Can you tell me about that?
2: Well, you know, I think there's there's something that I came upon um, that I'd heard about but really had not uh, thought deeply about. And that's what we call the communion of saints. And there's a way in which I think it, it's a very unifying sort of thing to think about um, because in many versions of heaven, it's they're, they're peopled by all kinds of people. I mean, often the ones who, ones who are mentioned are the famous ones like Moses or Jesus or Angel Gabriel or whatever, um, but they're peopled. And in the communion of saints in the New Testament, Paul says that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And there is this sense um, that we on earth uh, who, you know, live in this sort of pod of consciousness, uh, which keeps us, I think, way too, uh, almost imprisons us. Um, we really are also living in the communion of saints so that we have a sense that it's not just on earth where human life um, exists. And it's not uh, just in our individual, very time bound, um, life that human life exists that we're part of something much bigger and yes many of us think um, believe that 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 we're part of of god um, but also that there are people uh, all around us surrounding us all the time the communion of saints and that we can I think reach out to them and through meditation or prayer or really instilling a sense of quiet in our life, that they can make themselves known to us. And that's a way of thinking about life here on Earth that has become um, a comfort to me as I get older.
1: That was Catherine Wolfe, author of Beyond, How Humankind Thinks About Heaven. You can find out more about Catherine on our website, www.interfaithradio.org.
0: That's all for this week's show. If you're interested in learning more about this week's guests, head over to the episode page on our website at interfaithradio.org. You can also subscribe and take this program on the go. Each week we release the podcast. Wherever you listen, just search Interfaith Voices in the podcatcher of your choice. And while you're there, help us out. Leave a rating and a review. It helps others find us. This week's episode was produced by Kimberly Winston, Kevin McCarthy, and myself. A special thanks to our founder, Maureen Fiedler, for her vision, MC Yogi for our theme music, and additional sounds by Blue Dot Sessions and Audio Binger. Inspired is a production of Interfaith Voices. We rely on the generous support of our listeners to bring you this show. Wherever you are, friends, I hope you are well. I hope you are safe. And I hope you stay connected.